Thanks, Heather. Thank you, Barb. It was awesome. Jesus is not American. <laughs> what? Come on. Hang on. Got to turn on my Holy Spirit fan. You think I'm kidding. You stand up here. No, hey, listen. Happy Father's Day. It's great. Hey, I just want to say, uh, I know I'm probably out of line in doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, my friend Travion, wave your hand, Travion. Right there, graduated from Central Washington University this week. I know, I know there's going to be a graduation day, but I just had to. I'm so proud of him. Plus, I went to school at Central as well, so go Wildcats. There you go. It's awesome. I'm very proud. Good stuff. I love this. Um, listen, if you're with us for the first time, or the first time in a long time, welcome home. My name is Lance. I'm the pastor here, so it's good to hang out with you. I want to tell you today, in our Father's Day moment, uh, a couple of things that I love more than anything else. I'm going to tell you five of the top five dad jokes. Yep. Here we go. I'll start with number five. Number five, top dad joke. I went for an interview, and they said, "Can can you perform under pressure? I said, I'm not sure about that, but I could give a good crack at Bohemian Rhapsody. What? Here we go. Number four. Number four. Why can't Elsa be trusted to hold the helium balloon? Because she'll let it go. Yeah, see? There you go. Every good mom knows a good dad joke. Here we go. Number three. I got a pen that can write underwater. It can write other words too, but I like underwater the best. Number two. My pet, Mouse Elvis, died last night. He was caught in a trap. <laughs> See, everybody under 40 has no idea what that's about. Caught in a trap. Are you singing the song? Come on. Don't hold back. Here we go. You know. I know you know. Here you go. I said I love you <laughs> too much, baby. You want to sing it. I know you do. Here we go. Everyone under 40 is like, that is the dumbest joke I've ever heard. Here we go. Number one. Number one. I just adopted a dog from a local blacksmith. As soon as I got him home, he made a bolt for the door. Come on. And then one more bonus. One more bonus. I used to be addicted to the hokey pokey, but I managed to turn myself around. <laughs> Come on! There we go. They are dad jokes on purpose because they're dumb. There we go. Listen, Father's Day is one of those days of the year uh, that brings about lots of stuff in our heads. Right? For some of you, today is a great day of memories and good feelings. For others, today is a day uh, that's a little more difficult. For some, it's a day where dads cared and loved, and others, it's a day where dads may have abandoned their post, but still it's a day we come to celebrate. I I say this every year, and I will say this every year moving forward, but I want you to understand something, that a father has an impact on their child's life on purpose or on accident. Intentionally or unintentionally, fathers have impacts on their children. I wasn't raised by my biological father, and he had a massive impact on how I lived my life. Hmm. 
This week we're starting a, a week two of our series called The Dad I Never Had. The Dad I Never Had. By the way, there are some people here today who um, his father is no longer with us. Uh, and I would say to you, I understand. Uh, my dad's not here either. So uh, I, I sympathize with you and I'm sorry about the pain that you still feel because that it leaves a, a big hole in our hearts, doesn't it? Sure does. Hmm. I want to show you in this series the dad I never had, not about how, um, how difficult the dad we either had or didn't had uh, made a difference or an impact that way. I want to talk, or, or oftentimes a, a title like the dad you never had implies the crumminess I came from. I don't really want to do that today. I want to spend a little bit more time talking to you about the greatness of the father we have in heaven. Right, and, and he's the dad that we never really had. And I want to talk to you about that guy today because he's the one that made such a big impact in my life. You know, oftentimes we, I think we, we, we put a lot of ceremony and a lot of pressure on people. Uh, I do, uh, I get to do weddings periodically and when I do weddings, there, there's always funny when, when a bride and a groom, I meet with them weeks or months before and they'll say something like, hey, pastor, we want to write our own vows. And I'm like, you do? And they're like, yes, we want to write our own vows. And I'm like, okay, go ahead. I want to see them before the day we're actually doing the wedding. <laughs> Here's some of the stuff I find out. They'll say things like this. You complete me. <laughs> Shaking your head. <laughs> Just on elbow to your ribs. There we go. Um, you are my everything. Come on, if you've been married for 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> Here we go. I am nothing without you. Tough crowd. I promise we will never argue. <laughs> these are words I hear when I get these, these vows, and I'm just like, hey, we might want to relook at this for a sec, because none of that's reality, and that's some serious pressure you're putting on him or her. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it doesn't work like that. Like, relationships are difficult. Relationships aren't easy. Right? And you deal with that. And, and nor is the relationship between a father and their child, nor is that easy, nor is it perfect, nor is it uh, super one of those things that you just kind of dial in by Googling how to be a dad. Right? Uh, don't do that, by the way. I'm telling you, that there's all kinds of things that we put pressure on with people. It's, un, it's unreasonable, it's unfair, and uh, it's, it's difficult. Last week I talked to you about King David. King David. Remember about King David? He was the Youngest of seven brothers, we know that King David had a couple sisters at least, might have had more, but he was the youngest of seven brothers. He was the one in the family who was charged or tasked with shepherding the flock of sheep that belonged to the family. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Samuel 16. Now, 1 Samuel 16, the beginning of it, we know that Samuel the prophet was asked by God to go and anoint a new king of Israel. That was going to be what we know now as King David. But at the time, he was just supposed to go to David dad's house. His name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. That's all Jesse knows, is that one of his boys are going to be the king of the nation at some point. And Jesse says, is being told, hey, go get all your sons and bring them to the prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel's going to hear from God, and he's going to know which son's going to be the king. Right? So um, Jesse goes and gets all of his sons. Well, most of his sons. 
And in my mind's eye, he lines them up. My guess is he's lining them up in order, right? So it could be wrong. Now Jesse begins to go down. Samuel begins to go down the line with Jesse. And the first one, Eliab, nope, not him. Shammah, nope. Abijah, nope. All these different people. And he gets down to the, finally the last one. And he gets to the, uh, the seventh son and says this. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the oldest son. And surely the Lord, this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by the appearance or his height. For I rejected him. The Lord doesn't make decisions the way people do. People judge by our appearance, but the Lord looks at a person's thoughts or his heart. Right? Now this next verse, down in verse 11, in my opinion, is one of the most disappointing, um, hard verses in all of the Bible. Samuel the prophet says to this daddy named Jesse, I've seen seven of your sons. I know I heard from God. God told me to anoint one of your sons. And right now, I keep hearing from the Lord that none of these seven are going to be the king. Samuel asked Jesse this question. Do you have any others? Do you have any other sons? In fact, it says here, then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest out in the fields, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We won't sit down until he arrives. They're still the youngest out in the field. To me, I think it's the most sad because there's this dad who had an opportunity to bring one of his eight boys before Samuel the prophet. There's something that happened. There was some tension. There was some reason that, that David, now, now in our mind's eye, we kind of get this picture of David, whatever age you dream him up as, but I'll let you know, he was the, between the ages of 10 and 15. So he's just a young, young guy, just a little guy between 10 and 15 out there in the sheep fields late at night trying to fend off the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, trying to figure that out and try, trying to deal with what to do. Just this young, young guy trying to make it happen. But his father referred to him as the youngest. The youngest is still out in the fields. Can I say to you today, maybe you have experienced what David felt like. Maybe your dad referred to you as that one, the youngest, her, him, that one. And at some level, you have internalized some of that stuff, and you're like, hey, 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 I got a name. And uh, wait a sec, aren't I your son or aren't I your daughter? Wait a minute, how... What do you mean him or her or she or they? There's this idea, right? You get this moment of like, I, I just got to figure this thing out. And, and maybe you're dealing with some of the repercussions of that feeling of not feeling like one of the seven. I often wonder if David knew about the, knew about the prophet dinner party that he didn't get invited to. I wonder what he was like sitting out in the fields thinking like, why didn't they invite me? I'm a son. Culturally, we know that if you didn't have a lot of money, the youngest son would be the one relegated to that job. So it wasn't completely crazy. But in the mind's eye of a father-son relationship, it makes me stop and think about this. I was the youngest son in my family. Uh, I had an older brother. He had a relationship with my dad that I didn't have. Uh, my dad, uh, we had a difficult one. I was referred to at times as the younger one. The, the one over there, my, my dad would say things like, hey, Lance, children should be seen and not heard. Lance, 
you are so dumb. There's all kinds of things that you're going to. Lance, you're a baby. And I remember thinking like, and you know what happens when you get that information at a young age? You start trying to do all the cartwheels and flips and twirls that you possibly can to get someone to look and say, hey, I value you, at least your dad. You want them to see that happen, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about, right? You start to, to do whatever you can to try to say, hey, look, I want to make sure you recognize me. Listen, David felt like that. David felt this moment. He felt this time, this season. He felt like he was referred to as the younger one. We have one more. He's the younger one out there in the fields. Listen, if you feel like that, can I tell you this? There is healing for you. There's a God who heals, Jehovah Rapha. Rapha. He's a God, our healer. He's the one who comes and, and finds you. Um, El Roy, we talked about last week, that he's the God who sees you. I love the fact that it's a better translation in Hebrew. He's the God that gets you. Hmm. I often wonder why Jesse didn't just say, hey, wait a second, I got one more. I forgot to get him, but let's go get him. 1 Samuel 17 talks about the older brothers, David's older brothers, and for some reason they had a, they had a little bit out for him as well, and I don't really know exactly why, but it says in 1 Samuel 17, 28, it said, but when David's older brothers, by the way, this was the time that they were attempting to fight Goliath, the armies of Israel were on this side of the valley and the Armies of Gath were on this side of the valley, and Goliath would come right down in the middle and say, armies of Israel are terrible, your God's nothing. And then all the guys in the army of Israel would say like, yee, and they would all climb up on top of the hill because they'd be afraid. That, that's actually Hebrew, yee. And they would jump up there, yee. They would go up there, right, because they're nervous, because Goliath was a large human, nine feet or whatever it was. Listen to what it says, verse 28 of 17. But David's oldest brother, Eliab, and David... Uh, Eliab heard David was talking to them. He was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your dishonesty. You just want to be here to see the battle. Hmm. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. David was sent out to bring lunch to his brothers by his dad. And that's the reply, right? It just makes you stop and say to yourself, like, what was the, what was the going on? Or as they say today, what the what? Like, what was going on? Why in the world was there such weird tension between dad, David, sons, David? What was the thing? Well, let me tell you a couple of things. There was a speculation um, that was going on, and sometimes in, in Jewish tradition, how many of you guys have seen uh, Fiddler on the Roof, right? Right? Remember Teviot? The, you know, tradition, tradition, the whole thing, right? right? Because Jewish tradition to a lot of Jews is like truth. But can I tell you, Jewish tradition is just tradition. It's not Bible truth. It's just tradition. It's just what was passed down to pass down to pass down. And it wasn't scriptural truth. It wasn't inspired by God. It was just tradition, right? So in a lot of ways, some of the tradition was taken from the Bible. Some of the tradition was added on to the Bible. So some of the tradition I'm talking about, one of the traditions, in fact, was they had believed somewhere in tradition, Jewish tradition, that David had a separate mom than all seven of the other brothers. And that his separate mom, uh, other traditions, and, and that's what caused them to have a little bit dis, this unity in their thing. Other traditions said that not only did David have a separate mom, but when Jesse married David's mom, she was already pregnant, which would make him not the son of Jesse, unless 
right? You, listen, that's, that's a lot. Tradition, tradition, right? I'm telling you, those are just traditions. They're not Bible truth. Let me explain. Let me explain. The Bible talks over and over again about, the, here's the thing I love about the Bible. The, the Bible just tells truth, right? You know the Bible tells truth. The Bible doesn't uh, worry about the feelings. The Bible talks about Moses, one of the greatest leaders who started his journey off by killing an Egyptian. The Bible talks about Peter, who was one of the, the, one of the greatest leaders in the first century church who denied knowing Jesus three times. The Bible talks about Jonah, who was set out on a task to go to Nineveh, ended up saying like, nope, I'm out, and heads another direction. Over and over again, we see these pictures of these men and these women in the Bible who, who every, by the way, every other religious tradition that's out there, every other religious group that's out there, they have holy books. In their holy books, their holy people are holy. And most of their holy books don't mention mistakes. Most of their holy books mention all the greatness, Buddha, Muhammad, all the things. They're all just like, hey, these are great people. I tell you about the Bible is that the Bible is just like, they're just humans. They just tried to hear from God and do their best. And where they fell short, God met them. I love that. Over and over again. Did you know that Rahab, the Bible talks about Rahab. She's known in your Bibles as Rahab the prostitute or the harlot. Did you know that Rahab was King David's great, great grandmother? Rahab was one of the ones who helped the Israelites fight the battle of Jericho. She was the one that she was like the key linchpin, but she would have been to most Jewish people not the best example of someone you would want in the lineage and the line of Jesus himself. Did you know that Ruth was David's great-grandmother. Ruth was a Moabitess. Moabites were like arch enemies of, the, of, of the, the Jews. Moabites were like the 49ers, not the Seahawks. <laughs> there you go. You got the picture. Ruth, great-great-grandmother, shows up in this moment in the lineage of Jesus. Listen, let me tell you this. If the Bible wanted to paint the picture so well, that's what I think I love about the inspired word of God because it just tells it like it is. And we're just like showing up saying, hey, look, I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Listen, if David's, if David's, did you know that David's mom wasn't even mentioned in the Bible? King David's grandma, great-grandma, great-grandma was, but not his mom. In other words, there's not a picture of it would have been mentioned in the Bible. In other words, tradition has been loud. Tradition is not truth. I'm here to tell you, I believe with all my heart that David came from Jesse, the same mom who had all the seven sons. But there was something different about David. There's something different that caused him to stand apart. What was it? I don't know. Well, he looked different. We know that for sure, right? I can tell you this. The, the Bible says that uh, David looked uh, completely different. It's, it's, remember it said Eliab was tall, handsome. So let's just call uh, Eliab, the first son, tall, dark, and handsome. Let me tell you the description of David, his littlest brother. His littlest brother's description was this in 1 Samuel 16, 12. He had red hair, beautiful eyes, good-looking, and ruddy. How about that? Ruddy. So his brother was tall, dark, and handsome. He was short, light, and ruddy. Whatever ruddy is. He was ruddy. <laughs> Can I tell you this? And you might say, well, Lance, maybe there's something there. Maybe it was a different mom. Listen, here's the thing. 
Uh, you've, many of you have never seen a family picture of my family. So I grew up in a family of five kids. I'm the middle of all five of us. Um, I look like them, but I'm gigantic, right? So um, if you've not stood next to me, I'm six foot three. My, all of my family is all under five foot ten, right? So five foot ten, my mom is like five one, maybe five two. My sisters are like five one, five two. Uh, my brother's 5'9", my dad was 5'9", my brother might be 5'10", he's, he's lying to me, but I think he's 5'10", but, but, never, he's, uh, but I'll tell you this, me, 6'3". So if you see our family pictures, it looks like this, siblings, 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 Lance, siblings, siblings, mom and dad, right? I look like Shrek in the family photo. <laughs> I look like them, but I'm enormous, right? Here's, here's what I found out, I found out that my father... He had a grandfather. He had a father. It was my grandfather. I never met him. In fact, he, di- he died when my dad was, my, my grandma was pregnant with him. So my dad actually never met him either. I heard stories of my, great, of my grandfather. Here's the stories they told me. He was a logger and up in the woods. He, would, um, he, he loved, he was six foot three and loved to sing. Bam. I'm family. Maybe there's somebody in David's family who was ruddy. Come on. Let me tell you seven truths that I learned about this story with David. The dad you never had, number one. The dad you never had sees you. The dad you never had sees you. He's El Roy. He's the one that sees you. He gets you. Truth number two. The dad you never had waits for you. I love the fact that, that as, as, as David wasn't at the barbecue hanging out with all the brothers and the prophet, that, that Samuel said, I'm going to wait. In fact, he didn't say, I'm going to sit down and wait for young David to get here, but he says, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to stand up and wait. It was just this anticipation that says, I got something special for you and I can't wait to give it to you. Listen, I don't know where you are today, but maybe you've been saying like, I don't know if God hears me. Everything I've been trying to do, it's not showing up. God will wait for you. He's the long-suffering God. Truth number three, the dad I never had sees your future. He sees your future. He sees maybe your dad was short-sighted in seeing what he saw in you. Maybe your dad said things about you that dad shouldn't say about you. Maybe those are the things, but I'll tell you this. The dad you never had sees your future. He sees where you've been. Let me tell you this, you might be 65 years old. You might be at that place. And God sees your future. He sees what's ahead of you. He sees what's, what he has planned for you. He's not done with you until you take that last breath. And then there's a new season ahead. Come on. Amen. Truth number four, the dad you never had, he heals your pain. The dad you never had heals my pain. The pain inside and the pain on the outside. The dad you never had can, can meet you at those places, that crossroads of pain and anguish, that crossroads of I need, I just need to take another breath, and he'll meet you at that place. Hmm. The dead you never had will make you ready. The dead you never had will make you ready. I always think to myself, if King David was going to be the king of the nation that we know of as the lineage of Jesus, remember Jesus, we know, that was described as the son of David. Right, Even though he was the great, 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 great grandson of David, we know that Jesus was in the line of David. Can I tell you what a, what, what a king does to prepare to be a king? In this case, he was anointed king and then sent back out to the sheep fields. What kind of king training is that? Right? Who, if you're going to train a king, send him to king school. He didn't go to king school. He didn't learn where to put his fork and his knife and his spoon. He didn't learn the proper etiquette. 
He learned how to fight giants and lions and tigers. He learned how to take care of sheep that stray off and go out, leave the 99 and go after the one. Let me tell you this, he prepares you for your future. You might say to yourself, but Lance, I didn't get accepted into the whatever. I, didn't, I don't have the qualifications for the whatever. I didn't make the whatever. Let me tell you this, wherever you are, God can do whatever he wants to do in you. Some of us have wasted hours and days and time in our life to say, God, you must have forgotten me. And all along he's saying, I haven't forgotten anything. I've been training you all along. He makes you ready. Truth number six, the dad I never had. He hears your worship. The dad you never had hears your worship. He hears your worship. You might, it might not sound great, but he hears your worship. I'm not talking about the singing. I'm talking about the worship. Today I was driving here, drove over the Fox Island Bridge, and halfway over the bridge I turned around and looked over my right shoulder and I saw Mount Rainier sitting over there. And I was like, you done good, God. Look at that. Come on. Let me tell you this. God hears your worship. But if he hears your worship, he also hears your complaining. I just added that. But I'm just saying, he hears your worship. <laughs> some of you are like, some of you are going to walk away with that. Not walk away. He hears your worship. Can I tell you this? Start singing songs. Start making up words. Start saying things. Remember when you were little? Remember, you ever have a grandbaby or a baby around your house, and they just start making up songs? And you're like, it makes no sense whatsoever. But you listen to it, and you're like, that's so cute. It's crazy words, but it's so cute. Right? My granddaughter does that all the time. And I'm telling you this. He hears your worship. And I got a funny feeling that when we sing worship to God, that somehow goes into his heart in a deeper place. Not like us. We just hear it in our ears and think that's cute. It's something that drops deep in his heart. If there's one thing, if somebody had said to me, Lance, God doesn't hear my prayers, give worship a shot. Start telling him how great he is. Start telling him how amazing he is. Well, I don't feel it, Lance. He's not answering the things I want done that way. Start giving it a shot. Start worshiping him and watch God change you. And then watch God change the situation. And finally, number seven, the dad you never had. He forgives your sin. Come on. He forgives your sin. You remember the story. David sent his men off to war, stuck around when he should have gone off to war with them and ended up getting caught in a, a crazy dumb decision of his and going down and, and taking another man's wife. And then to cover it up after she gets pregnant, he decides to kill her husband in this crazy, this crazy way of doing it. And Uriah was, he's basically, he sent the, the husband out to battle. And then when, when he tells the army, everyone step back when the enemy shows up. And they all step back and her husband got killed. And David's like, and he made it all happen because he wanted to cover up his sin. That sounds terrible. This is the king that we refer to. But let me tell you why. Because he came to the Lord and said, forgive me, God. Lord, forgive me. If there's one thing that describes David that we know of more than any other, it's this. He was a man after God's own heart. Here's what it doesn't say. He was a man who never made mistakes. David was a man, it doesn't say that at all. It doesn't say he was a man who never made mistakes. It says he was a man after God's own heart. In the midst of the mistakes, in the midst of all the crazy, he was a man who was after the heart of God. I don't know what it's like in your world. I don't know what kind of a father you had. But whether you're a daughter, a son, whether you're a dad or a mom, I can tell you this, God can still be the dad we never had. He can meet us in those places 
where he tells us our future, where he heals us of our pain, where he meets us and, and knows us where we are. He's also the one that can forgive all of our sin. I wanted to leave off with that one today because I feel like there's some of us here today who have been living for years under guilt and shame of the woulda, shoulda, couldas. All the things that you wished you woulda because your kids are no longer this or that or they're no longer three, they're 12 or they're 15. They're no longer here because they're now 35 and they live in Nebraska. I don't know, you get this idea where there's like, well, I can't change it now. Yes, you can. Because you can ask God to heal you from the place and watch God show up in their life because he's God. Amen? So I want to pray with you today. Can we do that? Lord, this morning we come before you and we thank you for grace. We thank you for King David as an example. Lord, we thank you for all of the, um, all of the stubbed toes that are resembled here in this room. Lord, of the things that I wished I wouldn't have, I wished I could have, but I know now, God, that you can forgive our sin. And Dad, I don't know what's going on in your mind today, but I want you to come before Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. I didn't live up to the place I wanted to live up to. Maybe that's you, Mom. Go ahead and say the same. Will you just forgive me, Jesus? Come on, church. He says if we confess our sin, he'll forgive our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to just get hung up for a second on the word purify. He wants to purify you. He wants to purify you, mom and dad. Right now, I want you to say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I need you, Jesus. Heal me today. Lord, I pray for my kids. Lord, we, we lift our kids and our grandbabies up to you, and we ask, God, that you would bring hope and healing and draw them close to you. Maybe you're here today and you don't have any kids and you're a daughter or a son and you're saying, maybe one day or what all that. Lord, I pray that we would look to you like David did and say, you are my dad. You are my father. You are the one who meets the needs that every earthly father can't because some of the expectations might be, might be super big. But Lord, you can meet us there. You're the one that sees us in the field when we're alone. So God, thank you for your whole healing, your healing today. Thank you for your wholeness. Thank you for your restoration. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good.